everyone, and welcome to Heat Check. This is episode three, and today we are going to be doing a split episode. We're going to start by talking about the NBA, and then we are going to move into a more baseball-oriented episode. So first of all, we're going to start ta by talking about the Celtics, which I know Dan has some strong opinions about. Some of us have been thinking the Celtics haven't been looking so strong lately. So Dan, why don't you uh, tell us what you're feeling about that? I, I would have to agree. The Celtics have lost four out of their last five which is really not good, especially going into the last part of the season. But I do think that there still is some time to turn it around. If they can finish the season on a good winning streak, it would definitely help them out going into the first round of the playoffs, possibly against Philadelphia. Dan, uh, earlier today, actually, you claimed in a text that you believe the Celtics would sweep their, quote, sweep their way to, a f to the finals uh, do you really believe this? And if so, why would you say such inflammatory rhetoric uh, in, in a heated debate such as this? Um, no, I do not actually think that the Celtics will sweep their way to the finals. I do think that there is a slight possibility that they could make it there if they heat up at the right time. We know that they have the talent to, and the depth to do so if they all can gel together with the chemistry and stuff. And... The reason why I said that, I'm trying to inspire confidence in my team at a hard, at such a hard time for them right now, where they're really struggling. So I'm trying to stay positive and be optimistic for the future. How much does Brad Stevens take the blame for this uh, struggle? Because Dan Danny Ainge came out and said Brad Stevens is not the problem. Why is that? Is he the problem? Because obviously the Celtics team isn't performing up to par as they should. They have the talent, they're just not performing. I mean, I think he he could be to blame a little bit. But I think for the most part, it is just the players playing together, um, not playing as a team, more playing individually. And I think Brad Stevens could try to mix some things up with the rotations or with the lineups. But honestly, I think the lineups that they have right now, I don't know if they could do anything that would make it better. People are saying that they should move Jalen Brown into the starting lineup. But ever since he's moved to the bench, he's been playing way better, and I think that's because he's kind of like the leader of the second unit. So I think moving him to the starting lineup isn't going to help him necessarily. So I think the lineup, for the most part, should stay how it is. I think the players just need to develop more of a team-oriented mindset and not play like individuals for a lot of the game. Now, I've been thinking about Brad Stevens a little bit, and I'm wondering, he coached at Butler before, which pretty much produced... Um, the underdog in any given tournament and NCAA season. And then his good seasons with the Celtics have generally been with underdogs, either the year with Isaiah Thomas, who was just who was an underdog for basically his whole life. Um, and then last year, which obviously every single game the Celtics played, they were an underdog. So I'm wondering if maybe Brad Stevens isn't a good coach of extremely talented teams. Maybe he's a better coach of underdog teams. What do you think about that, Dan? I mean... You, it could be. I, I don't know. He's never really... I mean, last year, during the regular season, he coached a team that had this level of talent. It was just minus Gordon Hayward. Otherwise, it was basically the exact same team, and he still coached them to the two-seed last year, which is really good. Do you not think that the other Celtic starters, like Tatum and Brown and all of them, haven't improved since the last year? Well, they have, I think, but it's still the same players, they still play mostly the same way, same tendencies for the most part. I'm going to go off a, a different note and say maybe it's Kyrie that's hard to coach. Statistically, in the second quarter, the Celtics are by far 
the worst out of all the quarters of a the game. They're by far the worst in the second quarter, which coincidentally is the quarter that Kyrie Irving plays the least amount of minutes in the game. So I don't know if that has any correlation there. So are you saying that the Kyrie Irving should have been traded before the trade deadline? I am definitely not saying that. that That's what I heard, so please clarify. No. So the Celtics, I, I think that the Celtics play much better with Kyrie on the floor. Their net rating is much higher. Their offensive rating is much higher. Their defensive rating is slightly lower, but not by enough to make their net rating go down. So I think he should continue to be playing as many minutes as possible because he's our superstar. Is Kyrie a good leader in that sense when he's on the floor? Because we know his playmaking abilities aren't as up to par as some of the other superstars like Curry and LeBron. Can he like be a leader on a championship contender? Because if he just plays iso ball, we're going to see him fall in the same path as Durant where you just can't lead that team to the championship. I think he can. I think his playmaking is really underrated because his career average is five and a half assists per game, and this year he's averaging seven assists per game, which is a huge increase. And he is averaging uh, more assists than Steph Curry this year by a lot. He's averaging more than Kemba, Damian Lillard, Ricky Rubio, uh, D'Angelo Russell. He's averaging more assists than all those guys. He also so has a lot better, a lot of better players than all those guys do, except for Curry. Except for Curry. Has a bunch so, of guys. Yeah, I mean, that could definitely be a factor, but I think that this season especially, Kyrie's playmaking has been really underrated. So just to wrap up with the Celtics, their next two games are against uh, Golden State and the Kings. How are, are you hopeful for They're going teams? 0-2. So for, I know for the Golden State, I think Clay is still day-to-day Clay, at this point. But, yeah. Um, do, are, are you hopeful for these two games? I know the Kings are the nine seed, I want to say. So are you, are, yeah, are you hopeful I, for that game I at think, least? I think even tomorrow against Golden State, they said that Clay's likely out, Andre Iguodala is likely out, Kevon Looney, their backup center, is likely out. I think they signed Andrew Bogut. And yeah, Andrew Bogut should be playing. And uh, Alonzo McKinney, I think that's his name, their backup small forward, they said is also likely not playing. The Warriors are going to be without a lot of depth, also Clay Thompson, so I think it could be a good game, because the Celtics always seem to play the Warriors closely the past three seasons, so I think there is a, there is a chance that they could win. What about the game against the Kings? Against the <laughs> you think you yeah, would find that one? I would hope that the Celtics could beat the Kings. Hey, don't underrate the Kings. At this point, buddy, healed MIP. At this point, the Kings are playing relatively well, and the Celtics are kind of struggling. But I, I do think that they will beat the Kings. Is this the same confidence coming from uh, the team that just lost to the Bulls recently? Is that the same team? The, the Celtics are actually have the worst record this month, I think, or last month. They're three and seven in their last ten. But before that, they went like 11-3, and three, and people seem to be forgetting about that because the season really is all about ups and downs. Kyrie said it today that teams go through struggles all the time, and Kevin Durant also chimed in and said that uh, other playoff teams, like especially in the West, they said that they're still looking at the Celtics like finals contenders and that they're not worried about their ups and downs in the seasons and that they still think that they're one of the best teams in the league. Kevin Durant coming to Kyrie Irving's defense is this a sign that they're going to team up in LA or New York um you never know I don't think that will happen but you never know so just moving over to another team who isn't doing so hot lately the Lakers and what, what are our thoughts on that in general uh, what's been going on with them and especially what LeBron is thinking at this point um, 
not going to his first playoffs in a couple years now. Way more than that. I said in another episode, I'm going to say it again, this is a very poorly constructed roster around LeBron. They don't have any good shooters, and he's like the only, I mean, he's the only playmaker right now. Nobody else is really doing much, with, especially with Alonzo Hurt. I am a little curious, though, just because LeBron said it was activated, and we saw what activated meant last season, which was basically 40-point triple-doubles, night in and night out, and now it's 25-point triple-doubles, which is great, but, uh, you know, like what, what, why isn't it 40 points? <laughs> if it's been activated, yeah. then I feel like it should have been activated. I don't really understand. Maybe he's injured or he's just getting older, but I feel like if he really wants to turn it on, he needs to do it, or he needed to do it like three games ago. I think the Lakers team chemistry after the whole Anthony Davis scandal really, really took a hit. Really took a hit for the franchise, and I feel like that. I feel like that definitely like lowered Le- lowered LeBron LeBron's like confidence and abilities, and which results in a, in the twenty five point in the twenty five uh, triple doubles Nate was referring to earlier. Do you think that the Pelicans are responsible for this? No, it, I like that theory. I think LeBron. But I don't think we would say that necessarily. I think LeBron, you were talking about the the roster earlier, though. Yeah, Rich Paul. Is but really he's still yeah, like the roster is bad, but he's still responsible for. Well, I don't know if he's directly responsible, but that front the front office is definitely responsible. Nobody's safe on that team, and they know it. And they're all young. They're not. None of them have been traded. Um, none of the young guys have been traded. They've all been brought up by the Lakers. I'm pretty sure, and um, they're not used to that kind of um, rumors around them. And now they they get stuck with the, probably the greatest one of the greatest players of all time, and he they don't know if they will continue to play there, and they're just um, nervous about it. I think Rich Paul had mostly to, to do with this scandal. Like he he was the one that he he's Anthony Davis's agent for one, and he and like he has those connections with LeBron and all those other and all those great stars, and like he like he. He directly tells, like, communicates to the players what to say, how to say it, what to do, how to, how to negotiate. So he, I feel like he's the brains behind this whole operation, and it, and it's not, and it, he was able to make this a uh, demise for the Lakers. Yeah, I also want to say the West is significantly more tough than the East is, so it's definitely a big reason why he's not doing as well as he was last year. Also, now they were, they uh, really saying that they think. Or they're almost sure that Luke Walton's going to be fired at the end of the season, which is just—I mean, if the you Lakers, can see it coming at this point. But if the Lakers don't land a big free agent this offseason, it's going to be basically a bust for them, because yeah. this is their last shot, basically, to be a contender. And if they have LeBron for four years and they're a low-tier team in the West, that's going to be one of the biggest L's that the city of LA could take, unless they get the Clippers good. But that's to be seen. Yeah, Magic Johnson really screwed up in uh, his in this offseason. He got LeBron, who probably he decided so quick it was almost certain he had that in his mind before the offseason even began. And but he didn't. He surrounded him with like Rondo and Lance Stevenson. These guys are all playmakers. These guys want the ball in their hands. They're not gonna sit on the outside and wait for LeBron to drive and kick to them. They're not gonna be knocked down three point shooters. They're gonna be the guys making plays off the bench. Do you think the Lakers messed up? Uh, last year or two years ago, whatever it was, by not trading for Paul George? I think that's tough to say. Um, Paul George has said he did want to go there, but I think the Lakers had a good idea sticking with their young core, 
and I, I personally think they should have stuck it out. Obviously, LeBron is great, but they should have stuck him around their core and see how he can develop them. Uh, so switching over to the second part of our podcast, and we are introducing a guest star tonight. His name is Keith, and he knows all things baseball. Hello. <clears throat> That's Keith for you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming. So the first part, we're going to be talking about the Phillies and the Nationals, mainly. So with I Bryce re- Harper signing with the Phillies. Yeah. So to talk about that, we have Andrew Danielson and Ben Kirch. Go at it. I will start. Um, this is not a huge loss for the Nationals. They have up-and-coming stars in the outfield, Victor Robles and Juan Soto. They and spending what was it, three hundred thirty million? Three hundred thirty over thirteen years. years. No trade clause, no opt-out. That's a ridiculous contract for someone like Harper. I mean, he's a good player, but he's he's yeah, he's exactly. a flashy player. Yeah, I think, and he's a choke artist. <laughs> I think he's kind of streaky. He's not consistent. Like looking at his year, but yearly stats, like. He had his MVP season in 2015 and put up similar stats in 2017, but he batted around 240 in 2016 and 2018. So I feel like we'll either get really good, the Phillies will either get excellent MVP caliber Bryce Harper or replacement level Bryce Harper. And we're going to be stuck with basically, to some extent, a coin flip for 13 years. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a, a very big risk for the Phillies to make that move. And as much as I want him to go out of the division, because I know he's going to hit a lot of home runs against us, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a terrible outcome for the Nationals. The Phillies kind of backed themselves into a corner, where for the past six years, they have been tanking and cutting costs primarily to sign either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. So if they didn't, it would have looked really bad for them, and they would have the past six years would have essentially gone to waste especially after Nolan Arenado re-signed with the Rockies. So they kind of had to sign him to essentially save face. Yeah. And they really desperately needed a star player to boost their chances of contending for a World Series. Yeah, and so. Yeah, can I just take this moment to point out uh, how ridiculous that contract was and just how ridiculous yeah. the MLB is in general <laughs> about their contracts? A, no salary cap allows New York and Boston to absolutely dominate the market in terms of players. NLA. They can and LA, they can spend two hundred and thirty million dollars on their payroll like it's nothing for these players. And then B, the fact that any player can sign a thirteen year, three hundred and thirty million dollar contract where he can't leave and they can't make him leave is just absurd. No that business decision is one of the worst business decisions in like <laughs> that that cannot be a good business decision and but the the power that the players union has against the owners allows them to do that and it's just absolutely ridiculous the MLB has to fix that yeah at this point I don't think there even is a fix to it because they would have to say that upcoming free agents can't get these contracts that free agents before have had which no player who's coming up on free agency would ever support because they've been going, playing through the minor leagues in their first six years in the majors, thinking, once I'm a free agent, I can sign a record-setting deal. And then they have to agree to a new collective bargaining agreement that says that they can't sign that contract. So I feel that the MLB has kind of dug themselves into a hole they can't get out of by consistently allowing these contracts. Yeah, and I mean, you just that I just don't think there's an easy fix to this situation. I just 
banked or backed into a corner. Yeah, going off, like, Harper to the Phillies, there's three ways this can go. Either they both really enjoy having him and he has a great time. Harper doesn't like it and he can't opt out, so now he's stuck in Philly for 13 years. Or the Philly, or he underperforms and now the Phillies are stuck with this ridiculous contract, like kind of like a Chris Davis type um, thing. And, like, something that they could do for... Uh, to like help fix this, like what you said about the salary cap, is just pay minor leaguers more. They get paid scraps. They're like living together in apartments. It's horrible. Yeah, that would definitely be a fix. And as for how I think it will play out with Harper's contract, I think the next four or five years will be very go very well for both sides since Harper will be in his prime. And I don't expect him to necessarily drop off. And also, I think the Phillies will have a couple very strong playoff runs and legitimate chances at the World Series and for the next five, six years. But the remaining seven to eight years on that contract, once Harper does start to get older and does start to regress, I think that's going to be a problem for the Phillies. Trying to be good for so long. Yeah, it's just thirteen years he's gonna be playing under that contract with that contract till he's thirty nine. It's an eight contract. Yeah, it'll be until two thousand thirty one. I mean, so, okay, so think about where Bryce Harper stands in the league right now. Like, how he's good, but he's, he's a star. He's not, like, the best player in the league. He's not close to the best player in the league. I, now, I think he has a larger personality. I think his name and his personality carry more weight than his stats. Right, so now think about the NBA and think about LeBron, the best player in the league by far, everyone knows it, signed four years, 154. Yeah. Because, because that's a league that knows how to do it because so, LeBron is the best player in the league and goes somewhere for four years. Yeah. If he was in the MLB, the equivalent player, I guess would sign like a 30-year, $1 billion dollar contract. Like what? I, I just it don't does. understand. That is, de- there is a definite benefit to salary caps and maximum salaries. There's also but, a difference between baseball and basketball and those sports with salary caps where one player in like basketball impacts the entire game. One player in baseball does not impact the entire game. You don't know when he's going to come up to bat. He could come up to bat with two outs in the bottom of the ninth bases loaded, or your number nine spot can be in that situation. You really don't know. So if you implement a salary cap, suddenly, I mean, I agree, but you probably should, but also for the sport, suddenly there's only, like, two or three stars on a team, and, like, a, a, like a super team is, like, two or three stars, but, like, that's still not, like, super ideal. You get them at the three, four, five, and then, like, nothing else. I still feel it would be, if they could find a way to do it, it would be better for the competitive balance. Because it's just, it becomes so lopsided in the MLB. Just a couple teams who spend a lot of money to build a competitive team, and the other 20 teams who just don't even try, who are just tanking, <clears throat> like the Phillies were the, for the past six years. Forever. Yeah, so they can, uh, looking forward to some future free agency class, or some future draft class where they can get a bunch of prospects and get a big star. So it's just the whole structure that they have is just, I don't think, good long-term. I really but I just don't see a way to fix it reasonably. I would like to add that, that there's a, the Phillies are taking on so much risk on Bryce Harper's contract, particularly in injury. Like, he, like if he comes up to bat and, like, he pull, tears his ACL or something like that, like... They're screwed for. They have to pay so much insurance on the on those thirteen years. That's that, that, that's such, 
that's that's like a big factor nowadays. Like yeah. David, like with David Wright, the Mets had him on still on his contract, and they had to pay lots of money on in insurance to not for someone who's not playing. Yeah, the enti- all MLB contracts are fully guaranteed, so they can cut him from the team, have him not playing, take him off the roster, but they're still owing him the Phillies or whatever team if he does get if he eventually waives a no trade clause and ends up another team. Either way, he has to be paid $330 million over That's the next 13 is. years, regardless of how his career pans out, regardless of how long he's playing. He he's owed really that, that much money. money. And, and, so, okay, so what about as a solution, A, if there are already uh, taxes for a certain level of payroll, mm-hmm. say like over $150 million you have to pay yeah. luxury a certain percent, like a luxury tax. There is a luxury tax. So then why don't we worsen it? Why don't we make it more difficult for owners to spend $230 million on their payroll? Well, think you? about the Yankees. The Yankees play however many home games. They sell out probably every time, regardless of how good they are. And they're usually like mediocre to good. Really? They don't oh, sell yeah. out every game. Not usually. Oh. Not, not since I've been there. Maybe not since like two thousand nine. Well, in the past, they would sell if they sell out every single game. Well, now all of a sudden they're making so much money add to already stacked ownership where they already have so much money. Even if you raise the luxury tax, it's like nothing to them. Yeah, the they'll pay over that for rings yeah, in they, a heartbeat. Like teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox have far better attendance numbers than other teams in smaller markets like the Tampa Bay Rays, the oh, Oakland yeah. Athletics. Those teams. Like, you lower the luxury tax, you're hurting those small market teams who don't get the attendance numbers, but the large market teams who have mass lucrative media contracts and ridiculous attendance numbers can easily pay the luxury tax with no real impediment to their team building. Whereas teams like the Oakland Athletics basically have to treat it like a hard cap. So what if, would you think it would be beneficial for, like, like the Rays play a trap can of field? which is like a dump, basically. Would you say it would be beneficial for them to like just tear it down and build a new stadium and hope that that brings in more people or the athletics playing it? I don't know if their stadium is The Oakland A's are building a new stadium. I I saw that they had plans to do that. The Rays had been planning on building a stadium, but something they couldn't get an agreement with the The city. city. So that is now being postponed indefinitely. But do you think that would help with the revenue purposes? Honestly, I don't know because I feel that people will be more attracted to the on-field, the actual game itself, not necessarily the stadium. I think the stadium helps, but I think it's really just that there isn't much of an interest there in the small market for a baseball team. I think the Marlins just did something like that recently. Like They built their whole big new stadium, but I don't know their exact attendance numbers, but I don't think people really cared that much because the team was just so bad. bad. And every time they start to get good players, they tend to just continue tanking. Yeah. Uh, Going off what you said, though, the uh, PNC Park in Pittsburgh, the Pirates really are a sub-tier team. They they made it to the playoffs a couple of times. They never really made any, like, runs. Yet, their stadium, like, people are always like, oh, this is the stadium I want to visit because of how nice it is. Nobody's like, I want to visit Tropicana Field. Yeah. I, I think it does help like that contributes to some extent I just don't think it contributes enough to really offset the difference in attendance numbers between like the Yankees and teams like uh, Tampa Bay it's like it 
contribute some to like gaining more attention like tourism for the city kind of but I just don't think it's a large enough impact okay going um, to the next topic we have in the AL East we're gonna move there uh, Red Sox and Yankees one of the best rivalries in the history of all of sports and it continued last year the Yankees won 100 games and only got the wild card we have Dan of the Red Sox and Keith of the Yankees so take it away guys <laughs> I mean Last year was definite. I liked last year a lot, not just because the Red Sox were so successful, but because the rivalry was kind of like reignited. I think the past few years it had been a little bit quieter, and neither team had like those big characters that made the rivalry intense, like in the past with A Rod and David Ortiz and Jason Veritek and Derek Jeter and all those guys. So I think last year when they had the benches clearing brawl at the beginning of the year that kind of set the stage for the whole season, and then meeting in the playoffs kind of made it go full circle. So I thought that was, hopefully that will continue in the next few years. I'm just gonna say that was, that was all on you guys, by the way. <laughs> that was all your fault. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see it back in action, because um, we haven't really seen a lot of action coming out of the Yankees or the Red Sox in the past couple of years. Um, and you know, we had a lot of good series uh, this past year. We did get swept in August, I think, which was embarrassing, and I was very upset. But, um, you know, it was a good race, genuinely, all throughout the season. Like, it was pretty close. At some points, it was it was close. At some points, it was not close. Um, the Yankees just couldn't really pull their weight. I think that was due to a couple injuries. Uh, maybe if Gary Sanchez would run to first base, like, <laughs> at a reasonable pace. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of factors uh, that I think kind of hindered the Yankees this season. But looking at their roster now, signing a lot of people like uh, Tulo and uh, LeMahieu. And, you know, people were saying about the Yankees signing Machado or Harper. And in my opinion, we just, like, we don't need them. Because with Harper, the outfield is crowded enough. Like, we're, we don't need, between Judge, Stanton, Gardner, Clint Frazier, Hicks. Um, Aaron Hicks, like, there's so many people out there ready that, that are going to be producing. Like, Bryce Harper would have just been adding a name uh, to an already great team. So I really don't think we need him. I don't like Machado as a, per, as a person, really. I think he's kind of, like, stuck up and annoying. Um, plus, <coughs> we have who should have been Rookie of the Year and Duhar at third base already. So, I mean, granted, he could tighten up his defense a little bit, but, like, he's doing great things, and he's got a lot of time ahead of, ahead of him. So I didn't think we needed Machado. But we added what we added. We added uh, Adovino to the bullpen, an already stacked bullpen. And we re-signed J-Hat. Uh, so I think we made a lot of good moves. Didn't you um, also trade for James Paxton? Yes, James Paxton from the Mariners. I Not think the Mariners. A big thing for the Yankees was their pitching, because um, we definitely struggled with starting pitching. Uh, the bullpen was pretty good for the most part. Uh, we had a couple slip-ups, um, but I think we're kind of like, they did a really good job in the offseason of filling those gaps and kind of tightening the weave of the bullpen and the starting pitching. But I think it's going to set up a good year um, I have a feeling the race for the AL East is going to be tighter this year than it was last year. Last year, the Red Sox were all over it. 
Um, but I think this year it's kind of... I have a feeling it's going to go back and forth a lot more. Yeah. Um, between the two of them. Yeah, between the AL East and the NL East, um, those races are going to be super tight. NL East has four good, good teams that will all have a chance at the first place. And the AL East with the Red Sox and Yankees. And even the Rays, they won 90 games last year. They missed the playoffs. That it's going to be a good race there. Well, they, have a, they have a Cy Young winning starting pitcher. Yeah, Blake Snell. Blake Snell. Yeah. Um, he's doing really well. They I just kind of have to produce a little bit more in the league they're in. I think for the AL wild card, it'll be the first wild card slot will go to either the Red Sox or the Yankees, whichever doesn't win the yeah. division. The second wild card slot, I think, will be a race between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland Athletics. I agree. I think they both had really good seasons last year with young teams. I don't know how young um, the Rays are, but I know they improved a lot over the previous year, and previous year, and Oakland improved a lot too. So I think they're both going to continue improving, and they're going to have a tight race for the second wild card slot. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Red Sox? Yeah, I, I agree with what Keith was saying. I think that the division race is probably going to be really, really close this year because the Red Sox didn't really change their team much from last year, um, so they should hopefully be good, even if it's not 108 wins good, they, sh they still should be really good, and the Yankees did make a lot of good moves to improve their roster, so I think that the, that the division race will be really close. And then with the Rays, I think even if they have technically a better team than the Athletics, I think it's just harder for them, considering they have to play the Red Sox and the Yankees so many times throughout the year, so that's why I feel like they will probably miss the playoffs again, but I do think that they could have a chance. All right, with that said, do we want to go into some quick baseball predictions for this upcoming year? Who's who's winning the division? Who's getting the wild card? Who's winning the World Series? Jackson. I mean, I would love to say the Phillies, but I really, I, I have no idea, honestly. I don't know enough about um, what's going on, what's been going on in the offseason, really. Um, I can start. Um, with the NL East, uh, I'm a little biased, but I think the Nationals will pull that one out. They basically traded Bryce Harper for Patrick Corbin um, in terms of free agent signings, who I think is going to be a better fit for them. I think they'll pull it out in a very, very close and tough division. Um, I'm going to go with the Cubs in the NL Central. The Rockies, I think, will make a run in the NL West. And then I was a little bit, um, I think the Brewers for the first wildcard spot, and then I was... Um, really between the Dodgers and one of the NL East teams, because the Padres really aren't an auto win anymore, but I went with the Dodgers. For the American League, I went Red Sox, Indians, Astros. I think most people are going to have that, except maybe Red Sox and Yankees switch. And then Yankees in the first wildcard spot, and I had the Twins in the second wildcard spot. That's my hot take. World Series, Red Sox versus Cubs, and the Red Sox will repeat. I don't really have much, but I'm just going to say that St. Louis is going to win the NL Central. <laughs> Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll, I'll, I agree with Boston. We'll definitely win the AL. We'll definitely win the AL East. They have such a stacked squad. I think they'll be able to. Stacked. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'll be able to repeat. Uh, let's see. I'll just. I'll go quick. NL East. I think it's going to be close as we've been talking about throughout the podcast. So I'm not. So I don't want. I'm a Mets fan. So I. I would love to see the Mets win the division, but as of right now, I, I can't. I'm it's not too. It's not safe to say that yet. Well, they got some good pickups over the offseason. Yeah, yeah, it's good. We're gonna. It's more. It's gonna be more of like a. We'll see how this works kind of thing yeah. with our new GM and and yeah. we have to see how 
They it's definitely good. made good moves. The yeah, big thing for the Mets is going to be health. If they can stay healthy, they're going to be a good team. Right. So, yes, I think Milwaukee can easily. Yeah, I think Milwaukee can win the Central. And then, NOS Rockies. I'd say Cleveland for the AL Central just because just because it's it's a flaky division, and West I think Astros. So see, those are my division predictions. Who's going to the World Series? World Series, I think Red Sox for AL. And NL is going to be close. Like honestly, I'm not sure. It's gonna. I think I think it's going to be a close one for the end. For the NL, which I feel like it has been for the last few years. Yeah. Um, for the AL East, I know this will be a surprise. I'm gonna go with the Red Sox. Uh, the AL Central, I, I put the Indians because their division's just trash. I, so bad. There's this the worst it's division like in unfair. baseball. It's like unfair. The division. The Indians get like a free pass into yeah. the playoffs it's, every season. I agree. It's ridiculous. The AL West, the Astros will win that. Twins. <laughs> I will count out the Twins. And then for the wild card, I had the Yankees and the Athletics. So basically, the exact same playoffs as last year for the American League. Cool. Uh, the NL, I had the Braves winning the East, I had the Cubs winning the Central, and I had the Rockies winning the West with the wild cards as the Brewers and the Dodgers. And the World Series, I think the same thing as Ben, I think it's going to be Red Sox-Cubs with the Red Sox winning. For me, um, of course, for the AL, going to say Red Sox, Indians, Astros, the Indians, someone has to win that division. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be the Twins. They won't. The, the Astros are too good. The Red Sox are too good. I mean, the Red Sox and the Yankees what are bringing this? back some... It's just the Red Sox are bringing back a historically good team the second year in a row. Bad. The Red Sox are... They're bringing back similar teams, and the Yankees came nowhere close to being the Red Sox in the playoffs. So Whoa. I'm going You're to continue saying... You're not wrong. But you look at what we did in the offseason. You look I, at the people that were injured. And I still think that the Red Sox are far better. My God. So and so now the, Please. So that's my standings on for the division winners. I think the wild cards will be the Yankees. And I'm going to go with the Rays making a run for the playoffs. Ooh. I can see that. Then for the NL... I think the NL West will be the Dodgers. I think the NL Central will be the Brewers. I'm not too confident in the Cubs based on the way they've been playing the past two years. They have not lived up to their 2016 season. True. And in the NL East, honestly, I think it's going to be a three-way race between the Braves, Phillies, and Nationals. Ooh, counting out the Mets. I don't in the Marlins. I just... (laughs) I don't think the Mets made enough moves to really keep up. Um, I just, I don't think they did. And I have more confidence in the Braves than either the Phillies or Nationals based on the young core has gotten there before and they're going to continue advancing. The Nationals didn't look that good last year and the Phillies are bringing back a core that collapsed down the stretch last season, so I have more confidence in the Braves. And then for the wild cards, I think it's going to be the Cubs and the Rockies. World Series picks? Oh, it's so early in the season, but it hasn't mm. even started yet. <laughs> oh, excuse me, um, it's spring training. Yeah. <laughs> Regular season hasn't started yet. I'm going to say Brewers <laughs> versus Red Sox. Red Sox repeat. All right, Keith, take it away. All right. <laughs> 
big surprise. Uh, AL East is definitely going to go to the Orioles. Chris Davis is going to be MVP. Uh, no. All right. I'm in the minority here, clearly. But I think the Yankees are going to take the AL East by, like, a game. Like, one game. I don't think it's going to be, <clears throat> like, a blowout like it was last season. The other way around. I think the Yankees are going to barely take it. It's going to come down to, like, the last couple of games. But I think – I have a feeling we can just <clears> – <throat> if everybody stays healthy, and that's the big thing, as long as nobody's thrown at Aaron, Judge ri- Aaron Judge's wrist again and, you know, Gary Sanchez keeps his groin in check and, you know, everybody stays all good, I think we have a good shot at running away with it this season. So I'm going to put the Yankees at the top of the AL East – uh, the AL Central is going to go to the Indians. AL West, I was a big fan last season when it was like the Mariners, Athletics, and Astros were all like within a game of each other. That was real entertaining. Um, but you know what? I'm going to give the AL West to the Athletics this season just to throw a bone in there because they're, they, they were so close. Although their manager's not. Yeah, no, I'm changing. I'm going to go back to the Astros. The Astros are definitely no take backs. But, uh, all right, fine. Whatever. Ben says no take backs. I'll stick with the athletics. But the Astros are going to win. Nationally East, I think it'll be, it's not going to be as close as the AL East, but I think, I also think the Braves are going to take it uh, over the Phillies. Uh, The Nationals will be in there. I don't think they're going to take it, though. Or being second. Um, Ooh, strong word. I think it'll be close, but I don't think, uh, you know. Uh, NL Central, I'm going to say I'm gonna say the, Bre- <laughs> the Brewers. I'm going to say the Brewers are going to go all the way. Because they have uh, they have Yelich, and they have Braun, and they have a couple other good players. So I think, and, you know, they, did, they, held, they held their own for the most part in the playoffs last season. So I'm going to say the Brewers for the NL Central. And NL West, I'm gonna give to the, we'll give it to the Rockies. We give the NL West to the Rockies. Uh, the AL Wild Card will be the Red Sox and the A's. Astros. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, with the Red Sox moving on. So basically, the same playoffs as last year, just flip flopped with the ALDS. Hopefully, we don't get bent over in our own stadium. That was embarrassing. Uh, the NL wild card will be the Cubs and the Dodgers. And I think. Let me give it to the Dodgers. Alright, quickly, World Series. World Series is going to be Yankees and. Yankees Brewers. Yankees are going to take it. 28, going for it. That's my prediction. Amazing, amazing take. All right, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Keith, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And we will see you again next week. This is Heat Check signing off.